Brothers and sisters, good morning, and thank you, Pastor Rich, for this amazing opportunity. It's a joy to be with all of the saints this morning, and uh, I guess before I go any further, I just really felt this morning, I'm going to touch just here in my introduction on a few, I call them re-words, words that begin with R-E. And uh, this morning, throughout worship, I hope that uh, it wasn't just me who sensed another one. Refresh. God was speaking. God was moving. He was here this morning. And that's, I just could not escape that feeling that he wanted to refresh us. Again, I'll, I'll gladly be the only one I'll, if that was the case. But I don't think that was the case. I think this was for his children. This was for the house of the Lord. He wants to refresh us. I'll share a couple more rewords in a in a few moments, but uh, just again sincere thankfulness for being here this morning, uh, for being able to share what a special place this is to Aaron and myself and our family. Uh, you guys have just been such a blessing and encouragement. You've been partners with us from the very beginning, and we just thank you for all that you do for us. And uh, so it's our privilege to be here this morning. I pray that God would. Use us to speak. Um, I thought before I go into the Word of God, I'd just share some some stories. Um, try to do it somewhat quickly, but I just want to share some experiences. I can. Many of you have uh, kept close and, and know a little bit of our journey, so I'll just kind of share it briefly. I'll recap it slightly, just in case you haven't heard. But um, you know, we were we knew many years ago that God had uh, called us to a place that was not Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. This is where we were born, raised, brought up, and uh, started raising our family. But we just knew that God was challenging and, and inviting us to a greater purpose that he had. We just didn't know what it was. And then that became clear in 2017 as he started to move us in that direction. And he said to us, the time is now. And we started moving, and uh, as we did that, then he brought all the pieces together, and he provided a great opportunity for us to be able to go into the country of India. And um, the open door that he had there was amazing. We went in, and uh, we were using, helping uh, to build up a, a basketball training program there. God did some great things. We were there for a short period, it felt like, just six months that we were there, but just seeing God work and begin moving there. Uh, again, our heart's desire is to build a Christ-centered community. The places that we go as believers, the places that he invites us to come and follow after him, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to build Christ-centered communities in those places. And so that's our heart's desire. We were there for six months, and then we left the country on March 3rd for a short-term trip. We had to uh, step out for some legitimate reasons and so we went on a 10-day trip to Thailand we just had our small suitcases with us and primarily tank tops and shorts because it was about 100 degrees and we thought 10 days we'll be heading back into India but after about three or five days there COVID hit the world uh, like many places India closed its border and so we could not return back to our house that was in Bangalore. Um, so we waited, and 
we thought maybe this thing will pass over quickly. We'll wait a few weeks and we'll see what goes on. Well, after 46 days there, it became clear that was not the case. And at that time, we really had limited choices and the clear option became returning back home to our, our passport country, our citizenship here in the States. And so we've been here uh, since late April waiting and uh, that's what we continue to do. And I've, I've shared this with a few people as we were talking before. It's, it's um, full of bittersweet emotions. You know, we're always glad to be home, glad to see friends and family. Um, so there's a sweetness about it. But our hearts still long to be there. I'll share some other stories that we've heard from other people, other friends, other brothers and sisters of ours that are following Jesus to the ends of the earth that are in other parts of the world. Uh, one such instance, very, you'll hear some similarity, some friends that uh, are working in a very sensitive place. I believe it's in the Middle East somewhere. Uh, they're, they're there working, and the visa laws are different in every place that you go. They're very strict there. And so they, have, they, they actually are very limited in their ability to move in and out. But what they do is they, they have a time that they put together for Christians in that region every couple years. So every two years, they'll gather together for a conference or something like, like you and I have the privilege to freely go to here in Pennsylvania. They put this together. They try to bring people from all over this parts of the world and these regions. And so these, this family in particular had um, left their pet with the neighbor or friends they set out for a 10-day trip to go get refreshed, and COVID hit. Very similar to ours, country closed the borders, they couldn't return. They too have found themselves back into the United States. But can you, I just share this to start to imagine, we, we left stuff in our apartment. We came with a, a little bit of stuff, but you know, our kids' favorite toys are in India. Our personal belongings, our house decorations, even the special ones, they're there. You know, some of our clothes, most of our clothes are there. Uh, this family was sharing that their pet, they're separated. Pet was with a neighbor. Now we're on six, seven months. Who knows? That's a, quite a, a burden that that could place on a friend. <laughs> Another example is a family, husband and wife that ministers in Moldova. And the mother of the wife was in really bad health, really bad health, and was having some surgeries and needed some care. And so the wife was fortunate enough to be able to arrange to come back. And so, of course, you can start to imagine where this might be going, but she came back in the beginning of March. She left Moldova, came back to the States, was there with her mother, thankfully, but by March 5th, it was announced her flight suspended, her visa revoked. She could not return to Moldova. So her husband is in Moldova, and she's in America. They had a vision that God gave them in 2019 that God would use them in the ministry that they've labored there for years to plant 20 churches in 2020. And the year began with her in America, her husband in Moldova. They had 249 days apart and separated like this. 
after um, 249 days later, she was able to get back into Moldova. The flights were opened. I think they even granted her her ticket. She didn't get a new one. Her visa was revalidated, and she was able to get back. These are some of the challenges I share, and I, I don't share them. We're not boasting of, of anything. You know, just like Jesus tells us, we're supposed to say we're only unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. That's my heart. That's what my heart says. I'm sharing them that they might bring to us a perspective. A perspective that maybe we hadn't thought about before. A perspective that can be hard sometimes from our convenience in America. From the blessing that we have in America. You know, I share this to, to just challenge us as the body of Christ to think about our brothers and sisters and what they might be experiencing. If our greatest suffering throughout this pandemic has been inconvenience, what do I mean when I say that? Maybe we can't find our favorite brand of toilet paper every time that we go to the store. Maybe it is the, the bigger things, the separation from family members that are maybe in care facilities and we can't go see them, but through a, a window or a glass, there's some struggles that are there. But what happened with the 20 church plants in Moldova? Amazingly, God gave them that vision in 2019. So guess what God is doing? God is planting 20 churches in Moldova in 2020. Yes, give God, give God praise for this. While they were separated, her husband was there in Moldova, and he's going throughout these little villages around there, and he's able to come alongside maybe what few believers were there and bring them together and encourage them and resource them and raise up the church. And they've been able to do this across, I guess, I mean, 20 places, 20 churches organized and lifted up during this time. There's another short one that I thought so encouraging. Many of you are familiar with Project Rescue. Great work helps, I'll say particularly women, but it's, it's women and men. It's people that are trapped in sex trafficking all around the world, operating in many countries. This is what Project Rescue is. So Project Rescue, operating in Europe, when the pandemic hit, I'll say it this way, the burden came, the calls, the contacts that were coming into their workers there tripled almost instantly. I, I was reading this story and just talking and trying to understand why, and it's really simple. See, the, before the government of this area had certain programs. There was nonprofits there. There was other works that competed, we'll call it, competed against Project Rescue. Well, those all closed. Those all had to stop. When COVID hit and they closed things down, those things ceased, and they all said, hey, you better call Project Rescue. Look at the way that God is being glorified through this. F the favor that's upon his church and his people, and I believe that it should be this way in every community, in every region of the world. I've been challenged with this thought lately. I don't have the answers for COVID. I don't believe that God sent it necessarily, but for reasons, he's allowed it to happen. And as I've just been contemplating that, I've been thinking over the story in John 
chapter 11, when Lazarus gets sick and dies. And then, of course, we know later Jesus raises him. But I've been thinking about some of the words that Jesus exchanges with people. Between the time that he hears that the one you love is sick, and then he goes to the tomb. But on two separate occasions, he tells his disciples in one case, he tells the messengers who came out, he said, it's, you know, it's good that this has happened. It's good that he's gotten sick. He tells the disciples later, he's not falling asleep, he's dead. And you know, it's good that this has happened so that God would be glorified through it. He said, it's good that this has happened. I'm glad that you were with me and you know that he's dead now so that you will finally believe. And I've just been being stirred, I've been challenged by that thought that this year, 2020, has been a little bit tiring, a little bit exhausting, a little bit taxing. But may we as the people of God begin to believe that, you know what, it's a good thing that this has happened. It's a good thing that all the occurrences of 2020 are happening and unfolding so that God could be glorified through it. And I'll tell you more about this in a moment, but church, he wants to use us to do that. See, he could take all the glory by himself right now, absent of us, but that's not what he wants to do. He wants to use you and me and the children that went down. He wants to use all of us to glorify himself, to encourage other people that they might also believe. When I think of these re-words, none, none of these are my own. These are things I've heard from great leaders of our church today. I'll call them, you know, the church abroad, the church of Jesus Christ. Many of you know this one, and Pastor Rich and I, we've, we've talked about it a few times. You know the events that just happened in Washington, D.C. last weekend. They called it return. Listen to these words. So this morning we were refreshed. God's speaking to the church through these leaders, and he's saying, return. What's, it, what's that? He's saying, return to me. To do that, there has to be repentance, right? There's another reword. We have to be willing to repent and return to him. This one comes, I, I heard this, that the Lord was speaking to the church to refocus and to recommit. What, are we, what does that mean? What are we talking about? What do we need to refocus on? Just him. Can we, what I said earlier, can we believe that God's going to glorify himself this year through all the things that have happened? Let's just refocus on him and what he would have us to do. And, of course, this idea of recommit. Now, this one gets deeply personal. What are we recommitting to? What did Jesus ask us to do? What's, there's individual assignments. There's individual projects. Every member won't do exactly the same thing. But the body of Christ, the church as a whole, it just has one mission. That's it, to go and make disciples of all nations, to make sure that all the world has had the chance to hear the good news. That's what he's asking. Will you be refreshed? Will you repent? Will you return? Will you refocus? Will you recommit? 
let those thoughts challenge you as we look through scripture today. I'll tell you the text a while. I'm going to use Luke chapter 4. If you happen to have your Bible or your device and you want to go there a while, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. And I just pray that uh, God would speak something to us today fresh. You've heard these passages before. But in light of all that God's been doing and speaking and moving already this morning, I, I just pray that this word would challenge you. Pray that it would bring some conviction to us. But how many know when God convicts us, he encourages us too. So he's not here to condemn us. If his spirit moves, if his spirit speaks to you today, it's not to condemn you, but to lift you up. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. And the scriptures there say that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. I ask now, Lord, that you would just use your servant to speak your words, God. Not mine, but your words to your children, God. I pray that today... The word would bring conviction. The word would bring challenge. The word would bring encouragement, God, as you refocus us, as we recommit ourselves to you and to your purpose. God, we ask that you would just have your way in this place for all of our time together, as you already have made evident this morning. For the rest of our time together, God, according to your spirit, would you just move and have your way in this place? Lord, we above all want you to be glorified here today, to be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's take a quick look at what Christ is telling us in these words. Many of us have heard these before. Many of us are familiar. And I assure you, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into a deep, deep scholarly study on all of this. But I would encourage you to do that. There's tremendous riches in this. But let's take a glimpse here, and I'll try to just summarize some, some key things that I think we can really apply today, that Christ stated that we can apply to our lives today. The first thing that we see here deals with the anointing. Jesus says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And I really believe the key word there is that little word, upon, or on. Okay, this is the same word that we find in Acts chapter 1-8. Uh, 
and all of us Pentecostals, we know this word. We know this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the same word, and it has the meaning of a superimposition of power. In other words, it's a, it's a power that doesn't well up from within. It's not a self-earned, self-righteous power, but rather it is a power placed upon you by a supreme being. It's placed, it's superimposed upon you by the supernatural one. That's it. That's the importance of this passage here. The, the next one that he talks about is the anointing. And I'll touch on that for just a minute. There's definitely a literal application of the anointing, which means poured on or smeared upon, just like we, we do as a symbol with oil. Sometimes we'll smear oil on people, right? But what the anointing is when we're talking about God's presence, he says that he has anointed me. It's the same purpose. Picture God's presence poured out upon you. God's presence smeared all over you. That's what he's talking about when he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. It's God's spirit placed upon, poured out upon, smeared all over you. It's the presence of God covering us. We see this all throughout scripture. We see God anointing people. In this passage, Jesus proclaims it and says that he has anointed me. But church, remember what I said. This is the same thing, the same power available to us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today in 2020, God's still desiring to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. It's available to us. So church, we too have been anointed. He has put his spirit upon us just as he did for Jesus at that time. He has anointed you. He has anointed me. For what? What have we been anointed for? Jesus goes on and tells us to proclaim the good news. What's the good news? John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's a great man of God, Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ Ministries. Some of you are probably familiar with it or have maybe heard of them. Their ministry is phenomenal, reaching around the world, um, using compassion ministries, using athletics, setting up evangelistic teaching schools all around the world. It's, they've done amazing things. But I the reason I bring him up is I love he has these four simple spiritual truths that he calls it. And I was thinking about this and came upon it as I was considering the good news. And he breaks it down into these four spiritual laws. I'll share them with you. There's scripture that goes along with all of them. I, I won't throw all those at you, but trust me, it's all scripturally based. You can find it online for your own convenience. But the first spiritual law of the good news message is that God loves us. The second spiritual law is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The third spiritual law, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
There is only one way to know God personally and to experience his full love and his presence, and that is by faith in Jesus. In the fourth spiritual law, he says, we must be born again. That is, we must make an individual profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We must make a profession that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the grave, that he's coming again. That's it, folks. That's the good news. It's that simple. John 3.16 details all of it for us. Bill Bright has it in four simple spiritual laws. That's the good news. That's what we've been anointed to preach, to do. That's what he's placed his spirit upon you and upon me for, is to proclaim that good news. It's that simple. And so I ask, why do we make it more complicated? Why do we sometimes put so much pressure that we have to sound so intelligent, that we have to know more than we already do. Because I don't see that in Scripture. That's not what Jesus says. He was anointed to share the good news. In church, he's anointed us to do the same, to share the good news. Who are we to share it with? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus tells us as he continues, he says that he had been anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor, to set free prisoners, to give sight to the blind. I have no doubt that as he said this, he's speaking with very literal meaning. There's no doubt that he's talking about sharing this message with poor people, those that are without resources, those that are hungry and homeless. They don't have means to care for themselves. That's, he's talking about poor people. When he's talking about prisoners, he's definitely talking about criminals that have committed maybe acts of violence. They've committed crimes and they've been imprisoned for it. Let us not forget that there's also people wrongfully accused that are imprisoned. That's, he's definitely talking about those that are imprisoned. And when he says the blind, he's definitely talking about those that are unable to see physically. Those that are without sight. Because these are injustices in the world all around us. These injustices existed in his day as they do today. And there's no doubt that he'd been anointed to preach good news to these precious people. Because we see it countless times throughout scriptures. Do we not see him sharing good news with poor, widows, orphans? He shares good news with criminals. Even to those final Moments of his life when he's hanging upon the cross. He shares good news with the criminal hanging beside him. How many stories are there told in scripture about him healing blind, deaf, mute, lame, countless others that are suffering from physical ailments, right? He's definitely talking about this. But there's also a spiritual power. There's a spiritual reality to these words that he's implying as well. You see, what's the greatest level of poverty and imprisonment and a lack of vision that a person can suffer from? It's being separated from God, right? Spiritual poverty and imprisonment to sin and a blindness to the truth. These are the people that Jesus came 
to tell the good news to. He says so in Luke 5, 32. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the reason Jesus had been anointed. To deliver good news to those who needed to hear it. The sick, the imprisoned, the sinners. This is the reason, church, that we too have been anointed. This is the reason that he's put his spirit upon us, is that we would deliver good news to the ones that need to hear it. Maybe those who have never had the chance to hear it. Maybe those who've heard but rejected you the first time you told them, or the second, or the 20th. I always like to put it into a a real perspective. It's likely the people that aren't sitting here with us today. See, we've been anointed to preach the good news. And it's likely to people that we know that are outside the walls of the church. It's people that might have different interests than us. It might be a little uncomfortable to go introduce yourself and try to insert yourself into their gathering. They might use some different language than you do. They might eat different food. They might have different interests. This is who he's anointed us to preach good news to. All right. Now I got through the introduction. Now we can get to the message. I couldn't think about what to title this message, and, but it really all began with this thought about the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus goes on after this, and at the end there, he says that he had been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I've read that before. Usually, just kind of skim over it. I don't, but something had just really grabbed my heart within the last few months about this idea, and I started just kind of asking the Lord, "What was He saying? What you know? What did He want to speak?" And uh, so. Let's just go through this idea briefly about what is the year of the Lord's favor. You see, Jesus, as he spoke this, then he told us that the next thing he said is that this scripture has been fulfilled. Okay, so what does that mean? Let's consider there is a literal application of when he's speaking this, that the year that I've been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, when he was speaking to his audience that day, it says that he was in the synagogue, so his audience is Jewish people, right? He's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before. He was speaking mostly to Jewish people as well, to a Hebrew audience, right? And so there was just a, for them, they didn't really have to study this out. It touched their hearts right away. They knew what he meant when he said the year of the Lord's favor. It spoke into their hearts. It There was an implied and an understood meaning to the children of God about what this was, the year of the Lord's favor. We find this, the details of it that you can check out for yourself and and study through is found in Leviticus 25. It was an understood part of the Levitical law. We've probably heard it as well, commonly called the year of Jubilee. I'll summarize it, if I may, real simple terms that I found, these aren't my own words, I found them, uh, but I really love when scholars 
take all their profound, deep teachings and then summarize it real simple for my, for my mind. So he summed it up. The, the, the year of the Lord's favor means all outstanding debts were to be canceled. It meant that all slaves were to be freed. Now, these were Hebrew slaves, right? Hebrew debts, children of God. And it meant that all property would be returned to its original owners. Are you see, is that connected with your heart at all yet, church? Are we understanding what Jesus is saying now, that he'd been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? Has he not fulfilled this in our lives? Look at us sitting around here. Have not our debts been canceled? Have we not been freed from our slavery to sin, to worry? Have we not been restored to our original owner? God, the Father himself, the one who created us to be with us. We've been restored to him. This is part of the year of the Lord's favor. The next thing to consider as we think about this, this year of the Lord's favor, is consider it from a kingdom perspective for a moment. You see, one of the beautiful things about Scripture, about the Word of God, about our relationship with God, is that it's both now and yet to come, right? Many of us are familiar with this concept. We understand it. So think about a kingdom perspective. The kingdom of God is here. The, the fullness of the kingdom of God is now and yet to come. What, what do I mean by this? We know that there is coming a day God will reestablish his physical kingdom once again in Jerusalem. But see, church, he's already provided the fullness of all the benefits, of all the blessing, of all the joys, of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's here, and it's set upon our hearts. It's set upon the hearts of every believer, every person that confesses Jesus as Lord. The fullness of the kingdom is here. I think this is why Jesus and John the Baptist the early church, they preached a simple message, didn't they? Many times. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. The kingdom is near. You see, church, the kingdom of God is here today. We shouldn't act like anything less. The fullness of the kingdom is upon our hearts. It's all around us. When we go from this place, when we set out for lunch today, the kingdom of God should invade Wormleysburg and Le Moines and Enola and every place that we go, the kingdom goes. It's there in fullness. Unimaginable as it is, I felt like God was shaking me and waking me and saying, hey, David, 2020, this is the year of the Lord's favor. Well, he refreshed that this morning in my heart as we worshiped. This is the year of the Lord's favor, church. Jesus said, it's the year of the Lord's favor. It's fulfilled. Now, call me pessimistic if you want. <laughs> my, my natural tendency is a little bit bent that way and skeptical at times. But not in that light. I, I, you know, I just have this inner feeling that if it's too good to be true, it is. 
You know, that's my natural motive. I'm not suggesting it in this light necessarily, but what I am suggesting is that with news this good, it shouldn't come at a surprise that there might be another side. And I would say it this way, that other side of news this good is called responsibility. And where the Lord really got my attention with this actually comes uh, from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so I was not reading from a scroll, but I was reading from my, my Bible right here. And I was actually reading through Isaiah 61. And so I'm going to jump there now for a moment as we kind of promise you we're getting near the end of the message. So as we begin to close through the word today, I'm going to draw a little bit now from Isaiah 61. I'll tell you what it says. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, it says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is, all sounds familiar, right? This is what Jesus just told us. This is what he had just read to us. This is what he just said had been fulfilled in your very hearing. But what gripped my heart that day as I was reading is that verse 2 from the prophet Isaiah didn't actually end there. It wasn't the complete part of verse 2. No, it goes on and it says, in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So if I read that together, that makes a little more sense. Verse 2, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Maybe you're wondering the same thing I did. Did Jesus make a mistake? Why did he stop in the middle of a sentence before the word and? He had to scroll in front of him. Didn't he know the rest of it? See, it wasn't on accident. He knew full well, clearly, what his mission and purpose was and what he was doing that day. And as he was reading that day, while he was on earth in his human body, he was reading and saying, I've been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and it's been fulfilled. But see, church, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of every word of God. He is the word of God. That Scripture says the word became flesh. So there is coming a time for the fulfillment of the rest of verse 2 from the scroll of prophet Isaiah, right? There is coming a time that he'll fulfill the proclaiming of the day of the Lord's vengeance. There is coming a day where Jesus will judge all unbelievers, right? And he'll send everyone to their eternal home. You see, church... We know that Jesus is coming again. If we've been born again, if we've made our profession of faith, remember I said it from the four spiritual laws that Bill Bright laid out. Part of it was knowing that he's coming again. And it's okay for that to excite us. It should. After all, it is our living hope, right? It should excite us. It should give us some empowerment. But 
there is another side of that too. There are many that haven't heard the good news. There are many that haven't accepted the good news. In church, when we begin to think about that, in that mixture of our excitement, in the mixture of our longing for his return, there should also be a breaking in our hearts. There should be a mourning within our hearts. After all, the Father's heart does. The Father's heart is that none should perish, but all come to repentance and eternal life, right? That's his desire. Shouldn't it be our desire? Let me share some statistics with you quickly to put this into perspective. Today, our total world population is over 7.7 billion people all around the world today. Here's the good news. I I think this is a great statistic, and we should praise God for it, but it's well documented. First, let me, I guess I'll just throw this out there. The information comes from the Joshua Project. You, You can all check it out on your own time. There's tons and tons of information out there, but uh, I think very, very well regarded and uh, supported statistics that they put out. So that's where it comes from. It's not my own. I didn't make it out myself, but that's where it comes from. 33% of our world today identifies as being evangelical Christians, born again, believe in God. And that's a good statistic, 33%. Now there's another side of it. 41% of our world today is considered unreached. I know that this church is no stranger to that term. I think most of you know what it means, but I'll summarize it in simple words and understandings. Unreached is not the same as unbelieving. There's a difference. I would submit that most of America is not unreached, though We have plenty of unbelievers in America. The difference is this. In America, there is tremendous opportunity, has been for many, many years, to hear the good news. You know, I've said it this way many times. Any unbeliever from their house to the grocery store, their house to the beer store, they're going to pass three, four, five churches probably that are preaching the good news inside those walls probably have it on a sign outside the building as well. The good news is there. They probably have some Christian family members or friends that have shared the good news before that would be there to answer questions for them at any time that it might spring in their heart. Unreached doesn't have that opportunity. There are no churches where they're at. There's probably no Bibles. And sadly, in most cases, there are no Christians. There are no believers there. That even if they happen to catch today's message on YouTube or to catch the word about who is this Jesus, there's nobody there in proximity to them that they know that they can turn to and say, hey, who is this Jesus? Tell me about it. This is what we're talking about when we talk about unreached people. 41% of our world unreached today. That's 3.2 billion people without the opportunity, without the fair chance to know Jesus Christ. Out of these 3.2 billion, 
96% of them are all in the same geographic area. You can see it highlighted there on the screen in orange. It's what they call the 1040 window. Basically, what we know it as today is northern Africa, Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. It's the Middle East. It's China and India. 96% of the 3.2 billion people that are considered unreached today all reside in this same geographic area. To me, this is an injustice. It should be an injustice in the eyes of the church of Jesus Christ that this massive part of the world in 2020 would sit spiritually poor, enslaved to sin, and blind to the truth. What's more than that? Consider, again, John 3.16 told us the message of the good news. John 3.18, Jesus gives us the other side. He tells us the other side of the good news. In 3.18, he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What does Paul, what does the Apostle Paul say to us in Romans 10? How can they believe in the one that they have not heard? How can they hear without someone proclaiming, preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they've been sent to them? I don't think this tragedy should exist 2,000 years later. Consider all that Jesus has done for us. Consider all that Jesus has done since the first century for the church, for the children of God, for those that would put their faith and trust in him. Has he not anointed us? In light of that, consider what gifts and talents has he given you? What is he, what's in your hands? What's available to you now? Remember that he's anointed you. He's put his spirit upon you. He might ask you to lay down what's in your hands. Or he might, he might use that. I don't know, but he does. But I know this much. He's made available his spirit. He's anointed you with a purpose. It's to proclaim the good news. It's to proclaim the good news to the poor and the imprisoned and the blind, to the lost. Who are the spiritually lost that have come to your mind now? Maybe it's people that you know. Maybe it's friends and family and loved ones. Or maybe he's pricked your heart before and today's getting your attention again for a people that you don't even know. A people that you've never visited, but your heart is breaking. Your, your heart is beginning to mourn over the injustice of this world today. That 41% of our world is unreached. And let us not forget, church, from the time he spoke it, the time that Jesus read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he said, I'd been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it's fulfilled. So as unimaginable as it is, this is the time. This is still the year of the Lord's favor. Until he comes again, 
and fulfills the day of the Lord's vengeance, it's the year of the Lord's favor for the church of Jesus Christ, for the believers and followers that will go wherever he tells them to, that will go wherever he leads them to. It's the year of the Lord's favor. As I think about closing today, I'll just share a, a thought or two with you. And Pastor, if it's okay, I'll ask you to come back maybe and just uh, share, close, close as you feel led if it's a time of prayer or reflection. But church, I just want to leave you with this thought. I get the, mixed, the same mixed emotions that uh, I believe many of you might experience today. As we hear the word of the Lord, it challenges us, gets us a little uncomfortable in our seat. But it encourages us as well. And so I don't want, like I said from the beginning, we should not leave this place feeling condemned, feeling guilty. That's not, that's not what God wants for us. See, he convicts us because he loves us. He convicts us because he's using that to invite us closer to him so that he can strengthen us, that he can encourage us, that he can lift us up. And so I'm just like most of you. I get excited when I read scriptures like this, when I read Luke 4, when I read John chapter 3. I get excited. I get encouraged. But then, as I've said, my heart begins to get heavy. My heart begins to break because I start to see faces of real people go before my eyes. I start to see faces of friends, old and new. I start to see faces of loved ones. And I'll close with this passage, this verse. You see, Jesus was speaking in John 3.16. John 3.18, those are the words of Jesus speaking. And later in the chapter, John paraphrases it in his own words. In John 3.36, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And that's the sobering part to me as I begin to think about that. The wrath of God, it remains on people that haven't put their faith in Jesus. His wrath remains on them, and they haven't even had the chance to hear it, to know. His wrath remains on them, and you might sit beside them every day at work. You might commute with them. Right? You might see her at Starbucks every day. This is what God's asking the church to recommit to. Refocus on him. All that he has for you. All that he's done for you. All that is available to you. The fullness of the kingdom of God is yours. It, it's there. It's set upon your heart. But with it is a responsibility. And that's what he wants us to be recommitted to this day.